One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Chris Evans here, and welcome to our first Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio of 2022. On the way, acting sensation George Mackay chats about his latest brilliant new movie, Munich, The Edge of War, set in 1938. Harry Potter star Tom Felton discusses his heartwarming new film, Save the Cinema, which you can watch on Sky Cinema. New York Times bestselling author Johan Hari grabs our attention with his mind-blowing new book, Stolen Focus, and EastEnders legend Michelle Collins shares all about playing Miss Scarlet in the UK tour of the new play Cluedo. All of that and so much more to come. So Dapper Dave, who is first, pray tell? He's the shining light of stage and screen that just keeps getting brighter. So put your shades on because this one's a corker. His new film Munich, The Edge of War is in cinemas now and on Netflix from next Friday. So please welcome a man with a pretty good track record when it comes to films about war. It's George Mackay! Good morning, George! Morning, Chris. How are you doing? Very, very well, my friend. Congratulations. What a film. Oh, thank you very, very much. Thank I you for watching. Absolutely loved it, George. Uh, George, you are Zooming um, in our direction from a hotel room, and apparently it's, it's the best lit Zoom call we've ever had. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. It feels very, very professional. Very, very well lit. Very all shiny. Right. So uh, why don't you, first of all, frame uh, what goes on, um, if you don't mind, pray see Munich, the edge of war for us. And then we'll get into your character and uh, your co-star's characters and what may have actually happened and what may not have happened. Right. So so I guess the, the story is it's set in 1938 um, and Neville Chamberlain, the, the prime minister, is trying to do whatever he can to stop the Second World War from beginning, basically. You know, there's Hitler is um, trying to invade Czechoslovakia um, to, you know, to upscale Germany. And, uh, you know, the, the Britain and the Allies are doing everything they can for that not to happen. And my character, Hugh, um, is, uh, is a civil servant who worked for Chamberlain. And his, my, my best friend from six years ago, who we had a massive falling out for kind of political differences, is sort of actually undercover within the, um, the Nazi regime. And he has a military coup that he's planning, but for that to happen he needs war to actually break out and i not knowing fully his kind of his intentions i'm trying to obviously to work with chamberlain to to stop war breaking out so it's about it's about that moment in history with this kind of fictional thriller woven through the middle but broadly for me it's about it's a story about you know when you know that you want to make a massive change it's a kind of it's exploring at what's what's best whether it's activism and, and sort of personal action or legislation and, and the kind of peaks and troughs of of both efforts and it's really nail-biting because it because it has a lot of very gentle drama about it but it's so well measured and and pitched and and the meter to it and the rhythm it is such that you know i was literally on the edge of my seat i was lying down to be honest so i couldn't be on the edge <laughs> yes. of my seat. i was on the edge of my bed but, but on the edge of your seat and it was yeah, fabulous balance. it was fantastic and and he is um he is your your counterpart uh, character he is german you are very much mm. british uh, mm. and you you met at oxford six seven years before so that, that's 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 how the friendship sort of began. Yes. Yeah. No, we were we were best best friends at Oxford, and um, but then obviously kind of split. With there's this argument which you kind of see in flashback throughout the film as kind of political differences, and and also that's the other thing is it kind of gives a perspective as to how 
you know these you know how people's kind of political views can be formed and, and changed and and kind of come between come between friends often and it, so it gives insight i guess into the sort of the the german context to the country and and the politics before the war and and perhaps how things led to to where the where they did um in a way that i don't think it's really been seen before well, because I obviously know. i had no idea i know how did this underground movement this you know within germany uh, very mm. much of it within the german military was so mm. close to deposing and doing away with hitler completely because they just didn't agree with what what he was how he was going about his business yeah yeah and i, I think as well it's that thing of obviously with hindsight things things are things are clearer but it's the stories about when you you get a sense that something cataclysmic could could happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And so therefore, can you justify what is the action that you can take if it has, if it's yet to happen? But, but if you don't take that action, something really awful could happen. So it's, you know, it's kind of looking at the reality of being inside of that situation. It's it's fascinating is what it is. And I love the dynamic uh, between um, the two lead characters. And um, one of the things I couldn't help thinking all the way through in between the drama was the cars, the locations, that amazing silver plane. Tell me you got to go on the plane. Yes, yeah, I, I did get to go on the plane, actually. Well, unfortunately, we didn't take off, but I, I had my little sort of my little seat at the back. Um, and the cars were, God, I think the cars were frankly bigger than the plane. Like, there's these sort of huge Mercedes, which kind of, which took obviously the kind of official state, like, you know, stately cars yeah, that, yeah. that took us to some of the scenes. And yeah, they were absolutely amazing to, and be, it's, it's to really, be inside. It of. seems like a, a huge production. You know, was it as big? Because it's, you know, movie makers are getting cleverer by the second, aren't they? Was it as big as it seems on the screen? Yes, basically. Yeah, we went to some amazing locations, like kind of, and we went to some of the real locations. We actually went to the Führerbauer for, you know, and we're in the room where this, this, uh, the treaty that, that kind of the film centers around was, was signed and kind of being in that place and thinking of, you know, the, the history that went on was pretty, pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, actually going to, to Munich. And then, then there was also the kind of fantastic movie set aspect of it, where there's this amazing, uh, kind of 1930s Berlin set um, for, that's actually used for a, a TV series in Germany usually. And it's this kind of massive, almost like ginormous roundabout of 1930s Berlin so that you can kind of drive clockwise around it and it feels like you're passing through through this, uh, through this, the 1930s. Uh, George, you can pick a film and, and you love a war movie. What's next? Um, there's a film called Wolf coming out in March, mm -hmm. which is um, about a young man um, called Jacob who... Um, who well, it's kind of that's what the film is exploring. Who who identifies as a wolf and and is a wolf trapped in a in a in a human body, and he's going and he's being put into a facility to try and help him therapize that out of him. But um, the more therapy and the more kind of extreme that therapy becomes, the more. Well, I won't tell you what what happens. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's about it's about a man who is a wolf trapped in a man's body. <laughs> Whatever you do, uh, George. Great yeah. to talk to you again, pal. Um, obviously, your career's going well. Uh, you're a very grateful uh, human being. I know that you don't take any of this lightly. So, so well done, and uh, more power to your acting elbow. Uh, well, thank you very much, and thanks for speaking about the film.
You're awesome, George. It's a great film. It's a great film. It's out now in selected cinemas. It's out a week tomorrow on Netflix. It's called Munich, The Edge of War, and it is so compelling. I highly recommend it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's world famous for being a right <laughs> rotter to Potter, but in reality, he's lovely, and you should definitely watch his new movie. The new Sky original Save the Cinema is out today in cinemas and on Sky Cinema. So if you are buoyed by celluloid, then look, listen, and learn from the eternally magical Tom Felton. Morning, Tom. Good morning. Morning, Chris. How are you? Very well. Well, congratulations, A, on your backdrop, your Zoom backdrop, which you've all been very taken with, or taken Thank by, you. and also playing along almost pitch perfect to the amazing Isaac Stewart with your guitar on your lap there. <laughs> I don't know what you were listening to, but I'm sure it wasn't uh, quite as good as, he, as you're making it sound. But yes, that was a, it, was, it, was a, it was a treat to listen to. It's pretty darn impressive. So, all, before we get onto the movie, and we, I promise you we will talk about the movie a lot between now and 10 o'clock, but... Um, <laughs> I didn't realise you'd had five albums out of your own musically. Yeah, I wouldn't really say albums, so to speak. But yeah, I've been playing music a long time, really. So every now and then I put out the odd ditty here and there. But yeah, there's some tracks up on Spotify that I put up last year at some point. So yeah, I, I, I enjoy it. And Sophie is very up to speed where this is concerned, aren't you, Sophie? I am, yeah. I'm a follower of Tom on Instagram and he will do some little bits on there too. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sophie. Thanks for the plug. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but she, says, she says you're very, very good. <laughs> Well, again, uh, I'll take it in my stride. But yes, thank you. That's very kind. No, but you know, as far as far as playing the guitar, you know, and knocking out a tune and being inspired and maybe writing down a few verses and choruses, you know, how long have you been doing that for? Uh, with respect to what you've been doing in front of the camera, I've probably been doing the music just as long. Right. Uh, in fact, in between scenes, sometimes when we were shooting Potter, we uh, had a little setup in my in my dressing room where we used to record stuff. It was mostly at that stage. Um, you know, sorry, gangster rap, if that is such a thing. Um, and then it's, prog- it's progressed. It progressed into Jack Johnson, the Beatles, and yeah. then, yes, the guitars and pianos and all the rest of it. So. How, how groovy did it get on the Potter set? Who else got involved? Um, not that groovy, to be fair. I mean, Jamie and Josh, who played Crab and Goyle, who are like my two henchmen, we were the ones that were um, that were mucking around the most, but yeah, Emma had a little sing. I think uh, I think Rupert had a little go. It was, it was a fairly eclectic mix. Yeah, I've got Rupert down as a rock and roller. Definitely, yeah. definitely. I know he loves his tunes, doesn't he? He's he's a big fan of rap as well. There's a uh, yeah. I remember, there's a Shoreditch bar and him that have a rap history. I think. All right, Tom, let's get on to save the cinema. It is a cracking film. It's quirky, it's perky, it's witty, it's gritty, it's cheeky, and it's a true story. And I watched mm. it yesterday. Why don't you frame it up for everyone? Um, well, yeah, as you said, it's, it's a very unlikely true story about a very plucky um, Welsh lady, Liz Evans. This is back in the 90s, who basically decides to stand up to the council who are proposing to knock down one of the treasured buildings in Carmarthen, Wales, which is the Lyric Theatre. And uh, she more or less just puts herself in the way, literally, of bulldozers and, uh, and managed to save the cinema, hence the title. But it's a really uh, charming, charming story, and it's, it's hard to believe that it's um, that it's true. It's something like the Muppets would do and have done on film, isn't it? Like we've got to save the theatre, uh, but it's true and it really happened. And this is uh, portrayed beautifully, um, pitched perfectly by Samantha Morton. Tell us about who you play, uh, because he's still around, um, as you found out uh, only too well live on the One Show this week. <laughs> yeah, I did. So yes, I play uh, Richard Goodrich, who uh, starts off as the as the um, trusted postman of Carmarthen Wells. He knows everyone in the, in the town, obviously, through his years of being 
a postman. And then um, he even more unlikely becomes the mayor of Carmarthen Wells and becomes a big um, advocator of saving this old building. And um, yeah, he helps he helps out towards the end for sure. Okay, uh, right. It's, it's a beautiful piece. It's a fantastic ensemble. It's got a, it's got that. It has that amazing energy about it. Obviously, everybody in Carmarthen on the right side of the Saving the Theatre fence seemed to get on pretty well. Um, and it seems to have come across on screen as that may have been the case for you and your acting gang. Yeah, absolutely. As far as what? As far as what? Do we do we have a good time? Yeah, because you can sort of tell. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I tell you, one of the one of the big unique things that for me was that we were actually filming in the cinema in which Liz saved, in the Lyric Theatre. So yep. you can, you know, those old theatres, you can just feel uh, yeah, 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 history yeah, yeah. of sorts. And that definitely kept us um, very motivated in the um, in the ukulele breaks, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's more groovy gang action uh, on this than Potter, I'm guessing. I love the fact uh, you can... I, I, I like the fact you can... Potter, when we were filming Potter! It's so cool, <laughs> so cool. All right, so, so tell us about... Um, tell us about the story. Tell us about how much actually happened. And because uh, we had a similar conversation yesterday uh, about a film um, that's coming out soon uh, called Munich: The Edge of War. Um, so, so, what did happen? What didn't happen that we see on on the screen? What, as far as well, I mean, the it comes to a triumphant without sort of uh, spilling too many too many beans. Yeah. Um, uh, Liz ends up. Um, well, imploring to uh, to Steven Spielberg for for her to have the Jurassic Park premiere, and uh, in the Lyric Theatre <laughs> instead of Leicester Square, which is where it's actually happening. Uh, and of course, Steven said yeah. he can't do that, um, but he ends up um, helping in one way or the other. Again, I shan't I shan't give the no. reveal, but it's, okay. it's quite it's quite a magical. Um, it's, it's very 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 hard to believe. That's for sure. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you've gone there because yeah. that's what I was alluding to. Right, that bit which is amazing. How, yeah. how much, without giving too much more away of what what, what actually happened with regards to Steven Spielberg and this this uh, this European premiere of Jurassic mm. Park, percentage wise, how much of that what we see in the film happened? A hundred, as far as I know. So yeah, the, the, I mean, the, what the phone call and everything? Yeah, yeah. As far as I as far as I wow, know, yes. Yeah, so, that uh, is so cool, isn't it? Yeah. Again, it makes it even seem even more uh, unlikely, but um, that is the character that is Mr. Spielberg, I guess. Tom, exactly. what, what else? What else are you going to be doing this year? Crikey, yeah, I'm not, not sure really. I just sort of moved house, so I'm uh, I'm doing the, uh, the the unboxing thing and trying to be like ruthless with taking stuff out, um, putting guitars up on the wall. Obviously, yeah. um, I've got a three-year-old Labrador who keeps me pretty um, pretty busy. But uh, other than that, mate, just sort of just sort of playing it by ear. Really, I'm back in London now, which is great. Spending more time with my family, um, nieces and nephews, and, and all that. Um, yeah, mate, just looking forward to it, really. I've got a feeling this is going to be a very special year. Well, well done, Tom. Thanks for being on the programme. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate really appreciate you, it. Yeah, I appreciate you too, big time. Save the Cinema out today in cinemas and on Sky Cinema. Do not miss it. It's an absolute cracker. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Your ability to focus isn't hocus-pocus. It should be simple, but it's being nicked and you need to get it back. His latest book, Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention, is out now. So please welcome an author best enjoyed from Concentrate. It's the brilliant (laughs) Johan Hari! Good morning, Johan. Hooray, Chris. Great to be there. That's the best intro I've ever had. So I'm so happy to be here. By the way, that's that's what we do. So that's <laughs> like a uh, what a book. What a book, everyone. Johan Hari's Stolen Focus, Why You 
cannot pay attention. It's not your fault. Big tech has you. It has all of us surrounded. Is there anything we can do about it? Now, Johan is brilliant at TED Talks. Uh, there isn't a TED Talk to do with this book yet, but I suspect you probably have one prepared. So I'm just <laughs> going to give you the airwaves and you can talk about this for as long as you like and then I'll just pick up as and when. Oh, great. Well, I noticed that my own ability to pay attention was just getting worse and worse. With every year that passed, it felt like things that required deep focus, like reading a book, watching a long film, were getting more and more like running up a down escalator. Do you know what I mean? I could do it, but it was getting harder and harder. And I could see this seem to be happening to loads of the people around me. But I kept blaming myself. Whenever I felt this happen, I would go into this little spiral of shaming myself. I would say, oh, you're just being lazy. You don't have enough willpower. But then I started looking at the figures that suggested this is really widespread, that the average office worker now focuses on any one task for only three minutes. Um, since I was, for every child who was diagnosed with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred children who are diagnosed with serious attention problems. I started to think, is there something bigger going on here? But to be honest, I was quite afraid to look into it. And there was a moment when I thought, you know what, I have to research this. I've got a godson named Adam, who, when he was nine, long time ago, got totally obsessed with Elvis. And it was especially cute because he didn't know that Elvis had become this cheesy cliche. So he would kind of run around singing Viva Las Vegas and Suspicious Minds with all the kind of, you know, heart-catching sincerity kids have when they think they're being cool. And when I used to tuck him in at night, he kept getting me to tell him the story of Elvis. I tried to skip over the end where he dies on the toilet. And, he, and one night he said to me, <laughs> you know, Johan, will you take me to Graceland one day? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no, do you really promise one day you will take me to Graceland? And the way that you give promises to nine-year-olds, knowing the next week they're going to want to go to Legoland or whatever, I was like, I absolutely promise one day we'll go there. And I didn't think of that moment again until 10 years later when just everything had gone wrong. He dropped out of school when he was 15. And by the time he was 19, he just seemed to spend his whole life alternating between WhatsApp, YouTube, porn, Snapchat... And it was like his mind was sort of whirring at the speed of TikTok, you know, where nothing still or serious could touch him. And he's a lovely person. He's really intelligent. And I remember one day we were sitting on my sofa and I was trying to get a conversation going. And he's just from one thing to another to another. And I was sitting there on my own devices and I, I sort of was disgusted at what happened to him. But I was also disgusted at myself. And I suddenly remembered this moment from all those years before. And I said, hey, let's go to Graceland. And he was like, what? He didn't even remember this moment, right? But I was like, no, no, we've got to break this numbing routine. This is no way to live. Let's go to Graceland. But you've got to promise me one thing. When we go, you've got to leave your phone in the hotel so we can actually see what we go to see, right? And he promised. And two weeks later, we flew from Heathrow to New Orleans. We went there first. And we travelled all around the south. And a little while later, we got to Memphis. And Have you been to Graceland, Chris? No, I have not. Oh, you've got to go. I recommend everyone goes. But when you arrive at the gates of Graceland, there isn't a person to show you around anymore. This is even before COVID. What happens is they give you an iPad. And you put in earbuds and the iPad shows you around. So it says, go left, go right. And it explains where you are, gives you a bit of history. And it shows you that room on the iPad. So what happens is everyone walks around Graceland staring at an iPad, so right? Mad. And so I'm sort of walking around with them, trying to sort of make eye contact to go, oh, this is funny. We're the people who travelled thousands of miles and actually looked at the place we came to. But I just could not get any eye contact going with people. And then we got into the Jungle Room, which is Elvis's favourite room in Graceland. And there's this Canadian couple next to me. And the husband turned to his wife and said, honey, this is amazing. Look, if you swipe left, you can see the Jungle Room to the left. 
And if you swipe right, you can see the jungle room to the right. And I laughed. I thought he was joking. And then I turned and they're just swiping back and forth. And I, and I said to them, but hey, sir, there's an old fashioned form of swiping you could do. It's called turning your head because we're actually in the jungle room. You don't have to look at it on an iPad. We're literally there. And they sort of backed away, clearly thinking I was a nutcase. And I turned to my godson to laugh about it. And he was in a corner looking at Snapchat because from the minute we landed, he just could not stop. And I walked up to him and I was, I did what lots of people in parental situations done. I tried to grab the phone off him, which is never a good strategy. And I said to him, I know you're afraid of missing out, but this is guaranteeing that you'll miss out, right? You're not showing up to your own life. You're not being present at your own life. And he stomped off and I wandered around Graceland on my own for a few hours. And I found him that night in the Heartbreak Hotel where we were staying across the street. And he was sitting by the swimming pool, which is shaped like a guitar. And he was looking at his phone and I went up to him and I apologised. And he couldn't look up from his phone, but he said, I know something's really wrong. I just don't know what it is. And that's when I thought, you know what, it's really wrong that I'm putting off researching this. So in the three years that followed, I went on a really big journey all over the world from Miami to Moscow to Melbourne. And I interviewed over 200 of the leading experts in the world on attention and focus. And I learned from them that there's scientific evidence for 12 factors that can make your attention better or can make it worse. And loads of the factors that can make your attention worse have been rising in recent years. It led me to conclude this is a very real crisis. It's one that's actually poised to get even worse than where we are now. And we've got to deal with it. When is the TED Talk going to happen for this? Sometime soon. But in the meantime, <laughs> if people want to read the book, it's called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention. And it's out now. That was the incredible Johan Hari. If you'd like to hear the full unedited conversation with Johan, you can download the podcast special from the exact same place you got this very podcast. All right, good. Thank you very much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Whether it's Reverend Green with a lead pipe in the library or Professor Plum with a dagger in the dining room, we love it. She's starring in the brand new play Cluedo that starts touring the UK later this month. So we're going for Miss Scarlet with a microphone in a radio studio. Please welcome Michelle Collins. Yes, Michelle. Good morning. Got a text in here, Michelle, from Scott Greengrass. Uh, I'm seeing Michelle Collins in Cluedo next month. Job done. That's it. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Uh, that was the easiest <laughs> interview I've ever done. Uh, please can have a shout out from Michelle uh, live on the air. So Scott has bought tickets to go and see you uh, and he can't wait. Oh, that's it. the Lowry, I think, isn't it, in yeah. uh, Manchester? Big fan, big fan. It would make my Come day. Come and say hello, Scott. All right. Um, perfect. So, Cleo the musical. Interesting. No, it's not musical. <laughs> Stop <laughs> no, it. I'm You've joking. started, haven't you, already? <laughs> it might be if this, this tour no, does well. It's not our musical. I'm joking. I mean... So, so Cleo on ice. Uh, tell us all about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's something I wouldn't do. <laughs> right, Michelle. I don't really really know much about Cleo generally. I don't really know. I've never played Have the game. Have you ever game. played the game? Never played the really? game never, not even when you were a kid no never watched the movie it just hasn't been on my radar so yeah. come on fill me and convert me to the world of cluedo uh so um yeah it was kind of devised in like 1948-49 by a british man kind yep. of post-war uh -huh. and then um then the americans kind of bought it and it has kind of toured america for quite a long time right. and now it's come back here the uh, we've we've got the rights to it over here so it's been adapted into a stage play not a musical 
yet. <laughs> and um, we're on this kind of big tour, six-month tour, and hoping to go into the West End at the end of it. Nice. And I play Miss Scarlet, who I always wanted to be Miss Scarlet when I... I didn't play it very often, because I always thought Cluedo was a bit posh. In fact, my mum... <laughs> well, I remember her once buying me a board game, and she didn't know what it was, and she'd bought um, us an Ouija board. <laughs> And she came home and she's like, what are you doing? See, that's not <laughs> fair. She's been sold a pup there, hasn't she? Did you, did, so, you ha- did you have a go at the Ouija board? We did, yeah. Terrified the life out of us. Did it work? Oh, yeah. Did it? Because they say they do. I just, I've they're, never... But they're kind of scary. You shouldn't I don't really, really want to ta- go there. We don't really give them to seven-year-olds, do you? <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I've got no idea. What but is, the what... Cluedo... Yes. We used to play Cluedo with my cousins, because it was only my sister and I, and it's quite difficult to play Cluedo with the, um, only two people. So, um, and is it exciting? Is it a mystery that always has to be... It's a good game. It's a good game, Cluedo. Have you it's played fun. Buses? Yeah, yeah, we play as a family. Emily's annoyingly good at it. Um, <laughs> How does one become good at Cluedo? Because, like, they say about Monopoly, Monopoly is a game of skill and chance yeah no this is a game of skill and deduction right. so if so you you you, you land clever, somewhere and you yeah. have you have to dis- discover who did the crime yes. in what room and with what implement so it's got that was it's it about Scarlett a, yeah. with the candlestick in the lounge yeah it's got yes, that it, there's been a murder it's always yes. different about, is it it's yeah. always it's always different is it is that because it serves up a different well um, the, yeah you there's that you put it in an envelope oh, who it was and who, where who and when and how i'd like that job because then you'd know wouldn't you <laughs> then you so, win maybe, maybe that's we, why maybe Waddington should send you a, bo- a Cluedo game Chris maybe do, that's what they, you can you of... have bespoke Cluedos like you can have bespoke Monopolies now oh, I don't why know. would you then can you possibly yeah. I should find out there, there are massive Cluedo fans out there yeah and, and you th- can tailor who it is and, and the oh. items and, do and you the play, rooms Sophie? oh I do Really, yes. I feel like Poirot. When I'm doing and, uh, does it does it go on for a long time again, McCludo? Like like because Monopoly can go on for like it's the, a, it's most a, of your it's life. A two can't hour, it? It's a two-hour play. <laughs> you no. know what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Not so much the play, but the game. Uh, the game is uh, twenty minutes, half an hour. Is that all it is? Yeah. I see. It just sounds it just, longer to me. It depends con- how good people it's are. It's constantly being updated, isn't it? And kind of modernised. Didn't know this. Like I think Mrs. White has gone from the game now. Has she? Um, it's it's kind of it's someone else. But we've got the we've got the kind of mustard who's kind of the, probably the most iconic, and yeah. Miss Scarlet, I would say, people kind of seem right. to draw to those characters. So this characters is a board game that's, that's, that's become, made into... That's so we have this amazing right. set, which has got lots of doors going into the lounge and the... And the the study and the, and the hall and that and we have a character we have a uh, tw- cast of twelve, um, and, and so the audience of- can guess, can they? Like they, if as if they were playing the game. Yes, you will guess obviously, and then at the end of the the end of the show, then you find out who did it. And obviously, I'm not going to tell you and who did it. Does and- anybody win a car? <laughs> oh, but have you ever seen the play that goes wrong? Yes, or I, the, I've it, seen that play. Did you like it? I absolutely adored it. Well, that's the same director that we're working with, called um, a guy called Mark Bell. So it's that kind of style. So it's really heightened. It's very physical, a lot more physical than I thought Is it, it was going to be. I, well, I think it's funny, but then I, I don't... We think it's funny. But is it supposed to be I funny? I think it's supposed to be funny. No, then it's say it's hilarious. I'll ask you that again. Is h- it funny? It's hilarious, Chris. Oh, I bet it is. <laughs> well, how could it not be with that chap in your... Listen, well, no, so well, isn't he the two governors chap as well? That's right. Um, a bank robbery. The bank, a bank robbery. robbery. So it's very stylized, right. And it, as I said, it's really physical. I mean, we're not off stage the whole time. So in that sense, it's quite exhausting. But it's funny. It's very different for me. I haven't ever done anything like this before. But if you're a fan of the game, you'll recognise the characters. You will, definitely. Simple Even if that. you're not a fan of the game, you're still it's right. still fun. And I think, you know, in this current climate, I think people are really kind of craving things like yeah, that. It's fun and everyone can go and see it. And also people love whodunits. I mean, you've got 
Knives Out, Knives Out 2, which is which is brilliant. Yeah. Have you seen Knives Out, the first one? Yeah, it's one of my favourite It's fantastic. Films. So it's in that it's that kind of genre. It's a three-picture deal for Daniel Craig as well, that's, isn't it? Because there's yes. a third one coming yep. out. You're awesome, Michelle. You've always had been and you always will be. You remain so into the future. <laughs> Cleano, the UK tour begins Friday 20th of Jan in Bromley until Saturday the 30th of July. No, it's not. Sorry, Belfast has gone. Uh, Cleano <laughs> stays... Cleanestaceplay.com is where you need to go for tickets. I mean, Belfast itself is still there. If people are just catching the, <laughs> and, and the second is, half of that, that sentence. That is a beautiful theatre, but I think it was the Grand Opera House. I think because of their, right. their COVID rules are very different. Perhaps know. it's because of that. I don't know. I don't know either. Anyway, we'll it's, it's great to see you. It's been far too long. Please don't Thank leave it you. as long next time. Thank you for having me. You are the best ever. One time, I'm going to give it another plug. Love it. <laughs> love it. Love it, love it, love it. Belfast or not, Cluedo, the UK tour, begins <laughs> Friday the 28th of Jan. And you can go like, you can go everywhere to see it apart from Belfast. I mean, it's, it's in every town, it's village in every, or city I know, city I'm just looking at this list Belfast. thinking, oh, really? Is it that long? Yes, oh, it, is, it is. It is. <laughs> All right, well done, Michelle. Thank you so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Okay, so we've heard from a bunch of sensational guests already, but still to come. Best-selling author Bryony Gordon turns the pages on her practical guide to mental health, No Such Thing as Normal. Adventurer Ross Edgley teases us with recipes from his tasty new book, The World's Fittest Cookbook. Gut guru Dr Megan Rossi eases us into the year with her latest literary creation, Eat More, Live Well. And the spin-bowling master Shane Warne chats to us from Down Under about his brilliant new documentary, Shane. So let's get back right to all that. Deborah Dave, who's first? Columnist, podcast host, best-selling author and very recent cold water swimmer, she can do it all. Her book, No Such Thing as Normal, is out now, so if you're looking for some mental wellness in a world that's making it increasingly difficult, look no further than the always wonderful Bryony Gordon! Hi, Bry! Hi! How are you doing? I'm really good. It's nice to be here. You look like you're on sparkling form. Oh, well, you look I, well. I feel like I've been like dormant in my bedroom for. You, but you don't months. look like that. You, and you, ha- you have been open water swimming. Tell us about. Oh yeah, open water swimming. Well, swimming is swimming. I've been going to. T- <laughs> I forget. Well, I heard everyone. It sounds like such a cliche, doesn't it? Everyone talks about it. But I've spent like for my whole life, forty-one years, trying to work out a way to feel awesome, and haven't so far come up with a way. Until I discovered cold water swimming, and. I found a way you can do it in like three minutes you like plunge into tooting lido or wherever and there's a very fine line between smugness and hypothermia Mm. i'm looking at vassals because he apparently gets up at 4 30 i don't tread the line i've come down on the side of smug quite often yeah Yeah. well i've had to learn it's it's quite it's incredible and it's a it's a real buzz and you actually feel elated although when you start to feel elated is when you need to get out that's the sign but also you're up with the parlance aren't you what's the skins thing skins is when you go it's not naked swimming although i'm totally up what are the options because that's the parlance skins is in your swimming costume Okay. With a like a hat on uh, and a and a and 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 then there's wets in a wetsuit. So you get wets, you get your skins. Skins yeah. is quite misleading because it's not your skin. Well, it is as much of your skin as is possible without mm. being arrested. Well, well, yeah, like a little swimming costume, a hat, maybe I put a woolly hat on, on over it. See, but you're sort of doing yourself down here because you're talking about the tooting lighter. But I'm hearing uh, the adventures off the Cornish coast. Yeah, I, I did. We went to Cornwall for two weeks over Christmas, and right. I got in the sea every day. So that's that's pretty. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, but it's actually the the, the Cornish Sea is tropical compared to Tooting Lido. Is it really? Tooting Lido <laughs> right now is about three degrees. It's the and we're talking about the Atlantic. It's not actually called the Cornish Sea. It's, it's called the, <laughs> the Sea in Cornwall. I mean, <laughs> the sea, no, I'm just, I'm just the Cornish Sea. <laughs> the sea. See, the thing about open water swimming for me, it's not it's not the water, it's the pebbles. 
I can't cope with the pebbles on my feet. Well, you could, you could, you I know could you get could buy those the, little, I know, those what, little. What are they called? Neoprene socks. No, they, they could, would help. It's not the snappiest title, is it? That's not what they call them, is it? They call something else. Flip flops. No, they're not called flip. You can wear these, can't you wear these? Wet th- shoes. Wet shoes, something like that. I don't know what they're called. I but, think you listen as a marathon runner. Yes. I think you would be bang into this. Well, he see, but the problem is Vassus is into it. You know, and I, I literally followed in his footsteps at marathon running, for which you know I have to be totally against my will, eternally grateful to that bloke over there. <laughs> and I don't want to have to do the same thing when it comes to OWS. But OWS <laughs> is almost, if you're in skins, OWS yeah. is almost, it's the perfect companion to running long distance because mm. it's like, it's not really exercise because mm. you can't go in for that long. Mm. It's more if you're in your skins. You can if you're in a wetsuit yes. for a bit longer. But it's more, it's like cryotherapy. People pay hundreds of quid to go in those cryotherapy but chambers. Cryotherapy's it's got the word cry in it, hasn't it? <laughs> but this is, you just get and do it for free. <sighs> I know. Um, other fitness things. Are you heading towards a long run yourself this year? Yes. I, di- I couldn't do the London Marathon last year right. because I got injured. So I'm hoping I can do it this year. So it's October again. And then I'm going to do, we do this thing. So I ran the marathon in my underwear a, couple, a few years ago. You called it something, didn't you? It was Celebrate You. And it was all about showing that women of different shapes and sizes can exercise. Because I'd found that, you know, people, I always wanted to ex- like exercise as a child was like a punishment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I disco- discovered it was this amazing, thing for my mental health and people were like you you ran a marathon because i'm like an 80 size 18 size 12 i don't know i weigh about 16 stone yes i ran i've run two marathons and i loved it and it I felt great and um and so we wanted so we did it i did it with my mate in my underwear and yeah, what we, was your mate's name again jada says yeah, she's a plus size model yeah, yeah. and then we we then took it to the streets of london in a smaller form because not everyone wants to run a marathon do you know what i mean and that's fine it was the vitality london 10k uh, which is in may and we had a thousand women running through the streets with the other runners you know the clothed runners um, for, for, as, as part of a wave called Celebrate You, and that was that was in 2019, and it was fantastic, and everyone was so supportive. But anyway, Celebrate You has remained, and it's it's kind of the first. It's really the first. It's a running event where you run not for a time, mm-hmm. and not you know not not for a PB. Yeah. It's about running for your head and your heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's going to happen again the first May Bank holiday weekend. Beautiful. And leading up to that, uh-huh. I'm going to run uh, 10k a day for 10 days with different people uh, at different speeds of different you know shapes and sizes to show what it's you know what's possible. So will you come and be one Absolutely. of those people? I'd, no, I'd be honoured. Yeah, I'd be honoured. So cool. you're gonna have, you're gonna have a red ten days, a run every day ten days. Yeah, that's 10, what they call them. Ten k, ten k every day for ten days. Love it. The book No Such Thing as Normal is out uh, now in paperback, a practical guide to mental health. It's awesome. It's funny. Uh, it's vulnerable. It's it's amazing. It's very profound, is what it is, and you should buy it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. What our next guest can do with a cricket ball is plain confusing. Just ask Mike Gatting. The new documentary Shane is out now, and we've got that very same Shane on the line to tell us all about it when he's spinning we're all winning it's the one and only shane warn warning yes yes uh, bold chris bold chris <laughs> shane what How a out, pal? oh fantastic mate what a film by the way uh thank you very much it's um i've had some really good feedback from it mate and um i thank you to everyone that's gone out and seen it so far 
All right, so Shane Warne, Shane, and uh, digitally and on DVD and Blu-ray from Monday, 7th of Feb, 2022. It does, for Shane's life, in 90 minutes, I think what The Last Dance uh, did uh, for us all to understand Michael Jordan's life over uh, a few episodes. Would you not agree, Mr. Warne? <laughs> Look, I love The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. I've watched it a few times. I thought it was fantastic. A real good insight into the way he thinks, and I think, the doco, Shane, that I've got out there now is um, I hope it gives a reflection and an indication of um, into me and what made me tick, what sort of person I am. Um, a lot of unseen footage. You know, you hear my children take the mickey out of me. Uh, my parents that um, have never really spoken. Um, so, yeah, look, you get a good insight into some close friends, some teammates. And I, you know, I'm brutally honest um, about the ups and downs of, being in the public eye for 30-odd years. Yeah, and you are brutally honest, um, to your own detriment at parts, but it makes it even more compelling. Well, actually, not to your own detriment, <laughs> but because, because you're honest, I suppose. Um, that, that's me misspeaking there. What's, you know, it's, it starts at a sprint. Here we go. Uh, so if you don't know about this, everyone, but cricket was Shane's third sport. So he wanted to be Aussie, <laughs> Aussie Reels footballer. That didn't work out. Nearly worked out. And then he thought, I'll have a go at tennis. And then, you know, at the age of 19, at the lastminute.com, you know, at the death, <laughs> you gave cricket a go. And boy, how did that turn out for you? Uh, well, that's true, mate. I, um, I was playing Section 1 men's tennis at 17. Uh, I was ranked number two in Victoria. I was winning a few tournaments. Uh, I just finished Aussie Rules football at St Kilda. I got a letter saying your services are no longer required. And I thought I was working, delivering beds for 40 wings. I was delivering pizzas on a Friday night. I was working at a jewellery factory. And I thought, what am I going to do? Um, and suddenly cricket came along and sort of, I was playing lower grade cricket and doing okay, but suddenly cricket found me. And, um, you know, it's something I've dived into a little bit with Jeremy Snape, who's an ex-England player, who's now a sports psych. And um, I've spoken to him about that time in my life and how, I, how it actually helped me be so determined and competitive at cricket. And I didn't want to fail at that. And I'd like to think that over the 20-odd years I played uh, first-class cricket that I entertained people and people enjoyed watching me play. Um, it is amazing. It's fascinating. I didn't realise lots of things in it, and we've known each other on and off for a good few years now. But I, I didn't. I didn't realise, Shane, that you had to work so hard at it. Tell everybody about JT. Yeah, look, it's a, um, it's something that uh, I, I, I never had to. You know, I always had to work hard for everything in my life. I never got given anything, so I had to work really hard. And so I think I, I really the sacrifices I had to make to make it at the top, I think I, you know, I, I, they really meant a lot to me. And especially after the failures I had early in my life, I think they um, it made those rewards so much more enjoyable and the success I had as an Australian player and as an individual as well. And as good as you were naturally to begin with, you know, uh, bowling, leg spin, you know, you weren't all that and you had a long way to go and um, you were selected for the for the national side um, and you, you, you had a go. It didn't work out that well uh, at the time. And so you really had to, you had to come up with something else. You had to find, find, find some more tricks in the magic box, if you like. That's right. You know, TJ was a man that, he really helped me understand spin bowling. When I first sort of started, he was uh, I sort of used to let go of the ball and hope that the bats would make a mistake. And there's so much more to it that than spin bowling. You have to outthink the batsman. You have to have strategy. You've got to be a few overs ahead. You have to have a plan. That plan takes a while to uh, implement. And, you know, I love that strategy and tactic. I'm really patient 
And I think I used up all my patience on the cricket field, actually, because I'm not patient in much other <laughs> stuff. So, um, yeah, he helped me a lot. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us. So I, um, you know, I miss him every day. Yeah. And he helped me so much. Because of because of spin burning is like it is. And I didn't realise it took such toll on your shoulder. You had to have your shoulder completely rebuilt. And, you know, that accident as a kid, we won't spoil it for people um, listening who haven't seen the film yet. But the, he, Shane had this accident as a kid, which ended up strengthening <laughs> his wrist. Again, you know, finding uh, favour and positivity out of adversity. But I did think, you know, because spin bowling before I watched the film is like I thought it was. How good would you be now if you had to bowl for your life? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't bowl anymore. But um, watching some of the batsmen these days play legs, but I reckon I'd still do all right. <laughs> I think I reckon I, reckon I could come on and, and knock a few of these bloody modern day players over. Don't worry. <laughs> Shane, it's great to talk to you. I've been banging on about your film all morning. I really do think it's 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 really is one to watch. Congratulations, pal. What's, well, how's 2022 stacking up for you? No, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it's been fantastic so far. It's been a beautiful summer here in Melbourne. It's still 28 degrees tonight at 8 o'clock at night, so I'm um, pretty happy chilling here. Chris, I'm over in the summer. Why don't I come in and join you one morning for a couple of weeks and hang out? Interview some people. I'd love to join you on your show. I love your show. Okay, only if you agree to at least... 10 overs of corridor cricket on the 17th floor. Deal. Done. It's the best cricket, corridor cricket, isn't it? Everybody, everybody's yeah. everybody's a hero in corridor <laughs> cricket. All right, Shane, uh, you're a superstar. Well done, pal. And uh, please do, let's make that a date. Let's come come and join us live in the summer. Well done. Sounds good. Thank you very much, Chris. All right, Warney there. Uh, live from Australia. This documentary is out now uh, digitally. Uh, just look for it. Find it. It's called Shane. All about Shane's life. It is. It is. It is. Br- he is brutally honest about his life, and it's fascinating because of that. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. He has muscles in places you didn't know existed. So when he talks about fitness and health, listen really closely. His lean, mean, abdominal building book, World's Fittest Cookbook, is out now. So please welcome someone that goes on adventures literally anywhere, even the kitchen. It's Ross Edgley. Good morning, Ross. Coming live from Australia. Morning. What an introduction. No, he's good, isn't he? He's good. Um, he's always been good. He's getting even better. Right, Ross, you're in a hotel room. Purely for this interview, tell us about that little tale first of all, please. I am, yeah, no, because so, so I've been at sea basically for most of this year, You're right? Um, and it's cyclone season, so we're kind of getting battered uh, a little bit. And um, we sort of heard about this, so we, we've quickly retreated to a, a hotel just for the night where I can have a bath and um, get some seaweed out of my beard. Uh, do this interview, talk to you, which is nice to hear an English accent, and, and then we're going to get back out to sea. Okay, so we're talking about uh, the world's fittest cookbook, which we'll talk about uh, between now and 10 o'clock in the next 20-odd minutes. But first of all, um, Ross, apparently you can't tell us why you're on the boat. That's a big secret. <laughs> it is. But not, not just because it's a big secret, but, but also like, I don't actually know myself. Because what? with everything that's happening with like, the cyclone season uh-huh. and getting smashed by the East Australian current, like, we, we kind of don't know what's happening so, no I, I get that i get that sort of but you have been on the boat for a year so you must have some idea why you're on the boat <laughs> we have we have some but i've been sworn to secrecy oh. so um we, we, but basically it, it's looking at it's been three years now actually it's been two years since we last caught up um, and it was after i floated around great britain yep. and basically we've been throwing around a few ideas here in in australia and, and we've got a few that might might be quite good okay so, so that's where 
For people who are hearing your name for the first time here, let's hope that's a lot of people because that means lots of people listen to us for the first time as well, which is very good. And for people who know and love you anyway, just give us um, some of your sort of highlights, some of, some of your greatest hits so far, Ross. <laughs> yes, uh, they all sound a bit weird when you list them, but um, we are, I climbed a rope, uh, the height of Everest. Um, I uh, ran a marathon pulling a car. Um, I, I swam around Great Britain. That was probably my favourite. So 157 days, uh, 1,780 miles, um, and raised lots of money for charity in the process. Yeah. And, and it's also given me something to, to do with my hobbies. Which is it's really interesting on so many counts. First of all, I think what's, what's really important about it is that when you're training for something or, you know, when you're when you're sort of um, sort of stoically, strategically, uh, carefully working towards something, the fundane can turn a bit mundane. But mm. y- you've got to keep the fun in there. And what you've done with your challenges is you've taken you know extreme events, you've made them more extreme, but by adding basically a big fat joke in there. <laughs> yeah. Not you, by yeah. the way. I don't mean you're the big fat joke. I mean like pulling the car <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> no, I know. I know, but I loved what you guys were just talking about earlier when you were talking about, you know, setting goals. And, and it really resonated with me because I, I think as well as looking at what you're trying to achieve, I think it's equally as important to look at why you want to achieve it. So yeah. this idea of kind of intrinsic motivation where the process is its own reward, like you purely enjoy doing it versus extrinsic where you might get a medal, a trophy, or or maybe it's for that social media picture or something. And, and, and I think it's really important that when you embark on anything, park run, swim, triathlon, whatever it is, always ask yourself like why you're starting out because if it's intrinsic, where the process is its own reward, studies show that you're, you're far more likely to achieve uh, it. And I, I thought that was so interesting. So not just what you're trying to set in the new year, but why you're setting it. It's so, that's so important. That's so important. So there's a lady um, who Rich Roll talks to in episode 653 of his podcast, which is his latest one in Coach's Corner. And she, she talks about the fact that uh, she's an Olympic runner. And um, Mm. she talks about the fact that she has basically, by her own admission, been running away from her mum's death um, through Mm. most of her running career, running away from wanting to want to die because her mum very sadly took her own life. So she never wanted to be somebody who wanted to be in the same situation. And she said, as much as that journey has fulfilled her life and enriched her life, the last time she ran the New York Marathon, when she uh, following just following her hamstring uh, surgery, she was non-competitive, and so she had to run it with a different mindset. And so the night before, she had a, a star painted on her forehead by by her friend, a makeup friend of hers, um, a glittery star, and. Um, the Greek flag, and uh, and so, so when she uh, arrived on the when she landed on the start line, it was obvious to everyone she was in it for the fun that day. And then she mm. ran the New York Marathon non competitively for the first time ever. And she said that one run achieved everything that the previous thirty years had been trying to achieve because she, she like you say, she was dealing with it intrinsically and not externally, and she wasn't trying to fix something. Um, uh, fixed something that was unfixable if you like and so she and she what she was doing she was more accepting what had happened understanding that what she'd been through you know was a journey but actually you know ultimately hadn't full hadn't sorted what she wanted sorted so she then went to her true value which was herself and herself being allowed to have fun and because she did it for a different reason you know hey presto eureka there you go 
I love that. That's exactly it. It, it. It's just knowing that when when it gets tough and any challenge that you said, it is, it is going to get tough. And you just need to be really honest with yourself. And I, that's amazing. I mean, what you've just described, I was getting goosebumps because that's, that's almost like, you know, that uh, a pilgrimage that, that she's gone on there, yeah. you know. And almost um, Albert Einstein, when he said, you know, adversity introduces you to you. You know, so in those dark moments, yeah. you really do find out like why you're doing it, what you're made of. And I think I think that's amazing. But it, it is that it, it's just always making sure your reasons to continue are bigger than your reasons to stop. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, identify them before you even begin any journey. Like, what, Why are you truly doing it? I think that's so important. Right, well, if you ever stop globetrotting, come and see us again. Uh, this is Ross Edgley live from Australia talking about the world's fittest cookbook. Anything else you'd like to say before you go, Ross? Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me back. And it's nice to hear an English accent, like I said. So this is really cool. Yeah, I've been a bit homesick, but now this is nice. All right, Ross, well done. It's a cracking cookbook. I'm taking it home today. I'm going to read it. It's going to take pride of place on our kitchen shelf, and I can't wait to get stuck into making some of the dishes in it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. She's the gut health hero that'll boost your immune system like no one else. Her new book, Eat More, Live Well, is out now. So if a plant-based seed has been planted and you want to seed more, look no further than Megan that rhymes with vegan. It's Dr. Megan Rossi! Yay! All right, so... The thrust of this book, Eat More, Live Well, is what in 12 words? 12 words. That's a tricky one. I mean, it's about tapping into the latest scientific evidence about how our bodies and, importantly, our gut microbes work best. And I guess I've kind of translated that hard science into a simple to follow and hopefully you guys will agree delicious way of eating which i've called the diversity diet yeah i love it okay the only rule is diversity as far as this book is concerned absolutely it's talking about trying to get in as many different types of plants as you can but you know there is really three key principles i guess that underpins the diet we touched on one at the intro is that it doesn't have to necessarily be only plants but you should be pacing placing most of the emphasis in your diet on plants because we know they're so incredibly good for those trillions of bacteria that live in your gut. Okay. Uh, now, I was plant-based completely for 18 months, so I stretched that muscle, and then, you know, I pushed against those particular boundaries, and I went all in on meat again. And what bizarrely has happened is I've, I've, I've sort of reversed that, and I still have a bit of meat now and again, and a bit of fish and a bit of chicken, but hardly at all. I mean, so, like, on holiday, hardly at all, mostly plant-based, out of choice. And that's a, a very sort of welcome um, uh, re- revelation to me, a surprise to me. But it's because I now, my body, my microbiome, my mind was craving meat again because I hadn't had it for 18 months. But as you've always told me, my microbiome had made its own little mind up that it wanted stuff that was better for me. Yeah, these these are powerful little things living within us. I mean, there's more of them than there is human cells. And the research is showing that they actually do change our taste perception. Because we not only have those trillions of bacteria that lives in the lower part of our gut, we also have our oral microbiome. So we have this community of millions of bacteria in our mouth. And they actually are changing things like our taste perception yeah. with our taste buds. So that's why we see it. You know, a lot of people in clinics say, Oh my God, this is magic. All of a sudden, I enjoy the taste of plants. I've said, you know what? It's not. It's science. We, we see it all the time. And, you know, my husband, Thomas, uh, he was also a massive uh, meat eater. He's a GP, NHS GP. So you think he'd know, you know, a little bit better about trying to get more plants in. But, you know, he just said he hated them. Yeah. So what I did is slowly started to introduce things like in his lasagna, cut down the meat, added lentils, uh, you know, 
as I've got here, the stuffed pasta shells, instead of having just ricotta and cheese, I've added mixed beans to it. And slowly over time, you know, it's changed his taste perception. And now he actually craves plants. I'm like, the same. It's, I'm the same. It's bizarre. I'm the same. You know, as be- before, so like two, two years ago now, before I went completely plant-based for 18 months, you know, I would have to seriously have a word of myself to go uh, to, to the salad bar. Or, or whatever it may be, uh, potatoes not so much because I love potatoes anyway. And now it's the it's the opposite. So you know, if the meat is an offer, I have to think about it. And I usually end up thinking, I'm all right, thanks. And if you'd have told me that two years ago, I would have laughed you out of the room. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, any food can taste bad if it's not prepped right yeah. as well. So I think that's another thing that is Eat More Live Well comes you know, into play in terms of showing you how to work with very simple flavours. We've got like a cashew cheese, takes five minutes to make using all basic ingredients. Chuck that in veg and they taste so creamy oh, and no. delicious. Like people who don't like plants start to go, oh, actually, I could, I could kind of go back for seconds. All right, tell us about your six principles of the diversity diet if you can. Yes. So the first one we touched on about it being mostly plants, but not necessarily only plants. Mm-hmm. So we talk about this plant-based spectrum. So one end you've got veganism, the other end you've got flexitarianism. And according to the science, wherever you sit along that spectrum is completely fine. You can have a very long and healthy life, brilliant gut health, as long as you're basing your diet on plants. Whatever you layer on top of that is up to you. The second principle is diversity all the way. Again, we briefly touched on this. It's trying to get in as many different types of plants. Now, I think when we talk about plants, people are like, ugh, gah, boring, green, leafy things, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, some yeah, fruit. Yeah. And like the two and five campaign is so outdated because it doesn't take into account the latest scientific evidence about these trillions of bacteria which actually need plants from all six food groups. So we've got these six different plant-based food groups. In the book, I refer to them as the super six. Uh, and it includes things <laughs> like your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veg, your legumes, your beans and your pulses, and your herbs and your spices. Now, so many people, you know, think, oh, look, I'll just get my, my fiber from my veg or my whole grain, and they're not getting in that diversity. And in turn, they're starving off some really important bacteria that are important for things like hormone regulation, metabolism. Um, And that's actually what we're seeing with a lot of these fad diets, like the keto diet and the paleo diet, which cut out some of these really important plant-based food groups. Actually, what we see is that people who go on these diets, not only do they regain the weight they may have lost in the short term, they actually gain extra. And we think that's probably due due to some of the damage that it's done to their gut metabolism communication. Um, That's what we've got time for, Megan. What else should we say before you go? I think that the key message here is that we have discovered how important these trillions of microbes are for literally all health goals, hormone health, skin health, mental health, uh, immune health. In fact, the COVID research is incredibly fascinating. We know that our gut microbes can really help us reduce our risk of becoming severely unwell if we do get COVID. So loading up on the plants is really important. And I'm going to end there. But it's just such it's such a powerful organ that we're discovering. And I just want people to feel oh, empowered no. to nourish it. It has become your life's work, hasn't it? Indeed. Will it always be that way, do you think? It will. I mean, the research isn't going anywhere. It's just exploding. All right. You're great. Um, thanks for being here again. You look really well. You look. You always look amazing, but I think you have changed since becoming a mum. It's been hard. Being a mum is really hard and juggling work. Um, but you, you look even sparklier for it, if you don't yeah, mind Yeah, I saying. mean, there is something so sweet knowing that he's probably listening to me right now. Um, and yeah, that what you what you do is see that look. Down. See that look. That was a mother's <laughs> look, wasn't it? I got Archie. I got your look from your mum. 
<laughs> it's a great look. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. All right. Well, well done. E more, live well. Dr. Megan Rossi, are you going to join us for some live events this year? We'll be there, of All course. Right. Car Fest. All right. Superb. Eat more, live well. It's out now, Dr. Megan Rossi. Order your copy now. Do it today. You will not regret it. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Ta-da! The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 